With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Crunch Time. The Red Rooster sees the cheese. Try the new triple cheeseburger today. Limited time, so getting fast. The Rooster's calling. And for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. Throw in McCarthy, gets first look. He got through, but his kick was barely enough. Now it's Tom Berry. Oh, He's oh. done very well. He's kicked a goal under incredible duress. And Geelong looked tired. Fighting his way clear, McCluggage. Hand pass forward to the play works. Bailey tucked it under the arm. Kicks for Danaher, who's on his own. Marks at 40. Rushes the goal front. Has a bounce and puts the Lions in front. Hawkins grabs it out of the ruck. He handballed to Isaac Smith. Who kicks a goal off the right foot. He's a cat now. Stewart, can he take the chest mark? He can't. It still sits. Isaac Smith, the handball, a tackle. Cameron, they're desperate. There's bodies flying everywhere. I can't see a bloody thing through the pane of glass. It's rushed through for a behind. How do you get rid of that, Hunter? I don't know, Jared. I, I think Dane's all go. I think he's got a point. He just let it go. And College Asney will soak up the last of the seconds. The Cats pull it out of the fire at home in an ill-tempered clash which will have plenty in the postscripts. Geelong get their first win of the season. They beat the Lions by a point. I was a little bit frustrated with uh, the way um, we played, particularly in the last quarter. I thought we, for the most part, had control of the game and just couldn't put enough of a, um, a break on them to be, to be comfortable. And we played better, but we didn't play um, anywhere near as well as we, we can. And that's a tougher and a harder game as we've we've played in a long, long time. We did very well in the final against Richmond last year, but Geelong at Geelong, off a loss. Uh, it was a big game tonight, Friday night, big stage. I thought our blokes showed a lot of courage, a lot of character. Even by current standards, that was an eventful night at the footy. The significance of the result almost lost in the myriad of controversies. We'll sift through the fallouts and talk to a couple of the protagonists. Joel Selwood and Harris Andrews. Grundy shoveled it off to Pendlebury, wide out to Crisp, unimpeded run at the 60. He's gone for Cox, couldn't hang on at the peak of his leap. Slapped off the turf by Jones, straight to Dagoe. Kamikaze stuff in defence, and Dagoe kicks his second gleefully. Collingwood sets a few things right and casts Carlton's progress into question. How far-reaching was the outcome of Thursday nights? I've heard plenty of opinion around what I should have done. You know, tackle up, tackle once the ball's gone. You're just giving a free kick away. At the time, there was no free kick. So, it's like, it's, 
it's, it's easy to judge in hindsight when you freeze-frame it and review it. We would like to coach our players to certainly tackle um, as opposed to bump. Try to be the, uh, the hardest, most combative team we can be and sometimes, sometimes the bump is required. We talk to our players all the time about um, not bumping anymore. I'm pretty clear with our players that we, we've got to tackle. You know, the bump's very risky. And the place of the bump in the modern game dominated the debates in light of Patrick Dangerfield's three-week suspension. All the issues come to a head in the crunch. This is Crunch Time. So, so much to sift through out of last night's events at GMHBA Stadium. You're listening to Crunch Time for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray, Nissan. And for Red Rooster, Jared, try the new triple cheeseburger. The Roosters call it. Jared Waitley with you. Justin Leppich is by my side. Lepper. Morning. Lists everywhere. Where do you start from a night like that? What an eventful night, wasn't it, really? And the game was fantastic. We almost overshadowed some of the events that happened to the night, didn't it, really, with Chris and, um, you know, the controversial free kick not being paid at the end. So, um, but all in all, still was a fantastic game to watch. Strategy has never been more important at the start of such a season like this. So we've embedded ourselves in the portfolio. Craig Jennings, Jeno, welcome to Crunch Time. Good to be here, Jared, and just uh, concur with what Leper was saying there. What a fantastic game. It was great to watch, great to listen to. And Brisbane Lions supporters will be really disappointed this morning. But Leper, as you can attest, those close uh, losses, the learnings from those really create wins later on in the season for you. And it's never been more important to have Sam Edmund on the job, our chief sports reporter, Sam, who's been furiously working the phones. Welcome. It's a big night, Jared. Good to be here. Probably the most newsworthy game I think we have seen for, well, a long, long time. It had everything. And as Chris Fagan said, he wasn't sure if the game was actually going to go ahead at some point. So let's start with the Lions are still in Geelong. What are their prospects of leaving the state? Well, they're unclear at the moment is the easiest way to put it, obviously. So the AFL are talking to the Queensland government, the Victorian government, the DHHS at the moment, all around this COVID-19 mystery case in Brisbane. Now, it is still expected that the Lions will be able to return home today, guys. But at the moment, they are on standby in their team hotel in Geelong where players and staff and administrative people are being tested for COVID-19. Now, the fear from the AFL is that if they send them back and Brisbane then goes into lockdown, what happens from there in terms of their travel plans? Who can come in? They've got Collingwood at home next week. Who can come out? So all these things happening at the moment, it's a fluid situation as we've learned to term these things, Jared. So at the moment... The future's immediate future's unclear for the Lions. There is a neat enough solution. Brisbane and Collingwood are drawn to play twice this year. So in round 22, they're, they're slated to play the Magpies at Marvel Stadium. So if there is uncertainty around them, there is a certain logic to keeping them in Victoria, playing the next match on Thursday night and transposing the, the Gabba game later in the season for the same matchup. Yep, and all these conversations are happening at the moment. I think speaking to people this morning, though, it's still likely that they'll go home at some point today. That's the hope. That's the expectation. Their women's team is also in town. They're playing out at Casey Field shortly, 3-10 against Melbourne. Now, that game is definitely going ahead. I've been told that the women were tested last night, the women's uh, Lions women's team, and they all tested negative, obviously, for COVID-19. So that match is going ahead. And, and Sydney's the other team involved in all this as well, Jared, because 
They played round one at the Gabba, obviously post that March 12 deadline that's been determined by the Victorian government. And so their, their round two game is going ahead against Adelaide. The Swans this morning telling me that they've abided by all the New South Wales health regulations, which is separate, of course, to what Victoria has in front of us at the moment from the DHHS. So that game against Adelaide going ahead uh, this afternoon at the SCG. So none of that's easy, Lepper. <laughs> Oh, geez, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, we, we have to stay agile, though, don't we? But I, I, your suggestion of Brisbane staying in, yeah, it'd be very careful to go back too soon, wouldn't you? Thinking the fact that, well, if we do, we may miss a game next week. It's a really tricky situation for the AFL to be in, and not just at the Lions particularly. Yes, and while there's a pragmatism to that, is the Lions are 0-2 and two with Collingwood to come. They would dearly prefer mm. that game to be at the Gabba than in Melbourne on Thursday yeah, night. It's likelihood of going zip and three, playing it in Melbourne, isn't it, more than playing it at the Gabba. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 you don't want to be in that situation. So, um, yeah, tough Brisbane. Things haven't gone their way so far um, this year, that's for sure. Let's start at the end and work backwards, okay? So the <laughs> final play of the game, essentially, is the tackle of, of uh, Bailey on Blitzarps. And I think the expectation is that the whistle would sound and the umpire would say, holding the ball, Brisbane, incorrect disposal. Are we, how does everyone feel about that? Well, I would have thought so. I mean, Jared, we've got to be careful. We both don't get biased on this topic, being ex-Brisbane and Geelong, so we don't want to be accused <laughs> of that. But, yeah, you see many moments in the game where, and look, it's all split-second timings. Did he have um, prior opportunity and did he throw it? If he didn't have prior, but he still threw it. So it still should be a free kick in, in my understanding. So, um, but as we know, umpires in the last two minutes of games also like to sort of swallow the whistle, as we say. Yeah, so the, the two, it is worth pointing out that the prior opportunity, if you think Blitzarv's move to evade, is one thing, but it doesn't negate the incorrect disposal. So it's a throw. Bailey pins Blitzarv's left hand, and as a result, Blitzarv's throws the ball up in the air with the ball carrying hand. A handball requires you to punch the ball off the hand, so a free kick clearly should be awarded for holding the ball in correct disposal. And it's a tough one because if the ball got knocked out in the tackle, it's probably play on. So this is the thing with our game, isn't it? It's such little moments and little tin tacks with our decisions. And the umpires, ha it's a tough game to umpire. I mean, let's be honest. The umpire has to go through all that in his head and decide, am I going to reward Brisbane the game, basically, um, off this tackle? What if 30,000 people hold a ball? Yeah, well, we we've know the, uh, was it the voice of affirmation? Yeah, the noise <laughs> and the void of affirmation in this case. In, in this case, yes. That's a real thing. Yeah, I, I guess I've trained myself to not think about the umpiring and the umpiring decisions because we all make mistakes as players and coaches and so forth. I, I think the game was lost in a sense with Brisbane with some of their strategies at kick-ins that we might talk about a little bit later. But also in a close game, the natural tendency of a team when they're behind is to start rushing and going forward really quickly. But what we know about the opposition when they're holding a lead is that they start flooding back. And I just thought Brisbane had a couple of opportunities in those last few minutes just to slow down a little bit and pinpoint a pass inside 50, but they just rolled and went really quickly. One went straight back to Geelong and the other one was out on the full. So I felt that in the last few minutes there were some lessons there that Brisbane and all teams can get out of it, that when you're behind on the scoreboard, don't chase it, just slow down a little, a little bit, look for your free player and a, and a good entry inside 50. Expect an AFL statement as well on this, Jared. coming back to Blitzars for a moment. At some point today, hopefully before we go off air at, at 1 o'clock for our preview here, but I'm told they'll make a statement on this specific decision, whether they give it the, the tick off or the cross. Well, that there's no credibility in tip it, ticking it off. So last week they did, they made the, they told us the truth, is that the 
the free kick that was awarded at the climax of the yep. the Giants Saints game was was not a warranted free kick. That there wasn't a legal tackle. It was just the ball jarring free in a bump. So I, I would fully expect that they would they would walk us through why it should have been a free kick and educate everybody, including their umpires. Well, Mark Blitzhouse has come out and defended himself already post-match on the ABC, saying, oh, I didn't have prior. It was tough. I picked it up. There was pressure all over. I tried to get it through for a rush behind him means, but the tackle was bloody good. But, yeah, we'll, we'll say play on. Yes, so, and that he doesn't fully understand the rule, which I always think they're great moments when the players don't fully understand the rule. <laughs> the prior is one part of it, but it doesn't annul the rest of it. Yep. It was still holding the ball for incorrect disposal. And neither coach bought into it either. No, and, and and rightly so too, because I think Chris Fagan will look back at some of the things, and Craig mentioned it just briefly that they need to look at in the last few minutes. The, you know, the, the centering ball there by Archie, he kicks it out in the full with 30 seconds to go. That could have been a behind. Um, that the defensive 50 stoppage where um, Isaac was able to just run straight through the, the stoppage and um, McCluggage was sitting back as a sweeper and allowed him just to kick that simple uh, forward 50 goal. And the big one for mine was the, the skipper himself, Dane Zorko, the 50-metre penalty when you've got him pinned into that line, mm. you're in front, you give up a 50 and, and, you know, you think about it, the 50 goes up the middle of the ground. I mean, Selwood would have had to kick that ball wide to the pocket more than likely maybe get a stoppage keeper there. So there's a few moments in the last few minutes where they'll have to look at that part probably more than the umpiring decision. Yeah, your point on Smith is really well made. So that's the football IQ, isn't it? So he senses the moment. He moved his teammate out of that position and got there himself and and made the play. And, um, you know, that's the value of of drafting or, or trading in experience. The events of quarter time. So, so much of this revolves around Lockie Neal and... And what Gary Rowan did, the hard tag on Neil, which um, many have sort of pondered why not and just how effective that it was. So the, the tactical tensions in what you give up to do is there must be coaches, Leper, who look into this and go, look how effective the hard tag was. And it influenced the temperament of the game, not just the, the tactical side of it. Yeah, I think Dustin Martin would have watched that game with a bit of intent as well. We just spoke last week how no one tags him, mm. but I think Mark O'Connor's going to be the man now. He's got the size, the shape. It seems to have the fitness as well to play on all shapes and sizes. So um, not many teams go with a tag anymore, what, maybe two or three. Um, nowadays, we know the Giants always run with a tag. So, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if Geelong continue with that tactic when they get their gun mids back. Because you think about it, every tagger you play, you've got to take a gun mid out of the midfield. So that's the time for me when they'll get tested, whether they continue with that strategy. I think that's a great point about taking a gun mid out of the midfield. So last night in the midfield, Geelong were a little bit light on. There's no Duncan, uh, Dangerfield, Menegola. And what a tagger does, Gary O'Donnell used to talk about this all the time 20 years ago, was about keeping your team honest. So if you've got a tagger in the team, one is you, you're sending a message to all your teammates that we're going to get this job today and, and this player's got a, a team first role. But uh, I'm big on the tagging stuff. I think if you're not the best team out there, you need to take something from the opposition. And, and we know how damaging Neil is with the clearances and so forth, and he was totally ineffective. And it forced a change in the Brisbane um, coaches' box, so you're actually dictating the way the game's played. But I think from a strategy point of view, Chris Scott might not do it every week, but this was the week to do it because they're a little bit light on in the midfield. They had a pretty poor showing the, the week before, and this is the way that he can set the scene and keep the team honest from the, the start of the game. And all the tensions around that erupted at quarter time after Gary Rowan had thrown a, a round arm at Lockie Neal, who was left holding his jaw and gesticulating three weeks as he walked around the field in the aftermath. Chris Scott was drawn into this at the quarter-time huddle. 
I was walking onto the ground and um, Lockie Neal just said to me something, I couldn't understand exactly what he said, but something about Gary Rowan. And I said, I'm, I'm happy to have the conversation with you, if you like, I've, I've seen the vision and I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Um, I, don't, I suspect he didn't hear all of that. Um, that's all that was said. A few, I think a few of them, they weren't paying me compliments, but I didn't, I didn't say anything after that. What was your opinion of the Rowan-Neil incident? I thought Neil struck Gary on the chest and then Gary struck him on the chest. It's clear, the vision's clear, yeah. But, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm certainly not saying he did the wrong thing, that's footy. But yeah, I've, I've had a pretty good look at what Gary did and I'm comfortable with it. So Michael Christian will come out with this shortly, obviously, the MRO. The thing I find fascinating out of this is that Lockie Neal is, is welded to this now. The holding of the face, the three weeks, the player code is dead on this one. So he can't come out and say if it gets to it, oh, look, there was nothing in it. He got me, he got me in the shoulder. He, otherwise, he'll be done for staging. So it could go the distance, this one. But I don't know what you guys thought. It was. It's in the margins, isn't it, whether he got him high, whether he got him on the shoulder, whether the biceps brushed up and got him on the cheek and he's exaggerated it, um, it's open to debate at the moment. Yeah, look, I think Rowan's intent was to hit him in the gut, but what you said is that did the top of his arm actually clip his jaw in that process and then how does the um, MRO look at that? Do they just say, well, that's intentional hit to the head where in fact the intention was to hit to the stomach, but there was a little bit of contact to the face. But I don't think it was bad as what Lockie made it out to be. I just think he was looking for a little bit of something from the umpire possibly. But, um, yeah, you'd hate to think this play gets suspended for that. But then again, why do it? You know, why, why have that action? You make an interesting point, I think, Leper. So the intent is clearly probably to hit him in the chest, but we think about the gaff and the Brayshaw incident and his intent wasn't to break Brayshaw's jaw, was it? So it's a little bit of a risk. One thing I would say about the incident, and you know as a player, when you get hit front on, you can tend to deal with that. But when you don't see it coming and you see the whiplash that Neil received from it, I think that's the thing that gets you angry. So uh, I don't think Neil... Um, exaggerated to, to any great degree. I think there's always that shock when you feel that whiplash in a game or at training or wherever it is. And I think that was what his response is, is that red mist anger that comes through from, from that scenario. And Chris Scott being drawn into the tensions oh, of it all at quarter time? It, it wasn't a great look, was it, really? I mean, we don't love to see coaches interact with opposition players, full stop. Um, and the second part that wasn't a great look was his own players mm. pulling him aside. It's, it's normally the coach pulling the players in to say, come on, calm down. It was almost the opposite way. That was the spectacle. Obviously, we have no idea what was said. Chris didn't look like he's saying anything, to be perfectly honest, the vision I saw. but um, So I don't know if it was heated words Chris said or anything that... that that was obviously off off uh, topic or anything, but it was just a look. That it wasn't a, a great look. Maybe Chris was there trying to just put a shield between his players and and the Brisbane players. But um, but yeah, it was just a, an interesting spectacle. Um, one that you probably look back and go, you know what? I've had my time again. I just walk in and call the players over. Come boys, don't worry about it. Yeah, you know Chris Scott better than anybody. Is any part of that him galvanising his team and and just saying, look? you know, this is on tonight? I think so. I think the hard tag, I think uh, Geelong come at really aggressive uh, on the body as well. And I just think that was Chris showing he's, you know, I'm here with you. I'm in the trenches with you. Yeah. Um, we need to galvanise this to get a win. I think he realised the importance of the win. And I thought they really targeted Brisbane from an emotional sense as well as a, yeah. a physical sense on the night. So I think Chris Scott and um, Chris Fagan have sorted this out subsequently, either late last night or this morning, to make sure that there's uh, there's no simmering tensions over it. Because there were words from, uh, but well, not between the coaches. I don't think that's quite right. Is is Fagan ended up mm. uh, yelling at Scott as well to get him away from 
from what mm. was going on. Well, particularly because it's a 20-year reunion this year too, Jared. So, you know, we might have the big party this year where Chris comes and they have to shake hands. So you never know. You might have to see half of those players again. <laughs> and the sub, so the sub, this is the rubberiest rule we've had in a long time, I think, last night as to what the thresholds of this are. And it concerns Oscar McInerney, the, the ever-important lines, Ruckman Jared, who was injured early, played on for another couple of quarters and wasn't medically substituted until late in the game. So a lot of confusion about this. It's open to questioning. In fact, Chris Scott went on to say it was a little strange, to use his words here, that the AFL has left, left these people. He's talking about club doctors opening open to questioning and that he understood why people would doubt the people that make these decisions and the rule that's in place. Paul McConnell's the Brisbane Lions doctor, who Chris went on to say is just beyond reproach. We, we need to trust these doctors. But such is the, the parameters they've been they've been dealt and what they need to work within, it's open to question. It's open to interpretation. So Oscar McInerney was subbed off. And then Chris Fagan, the Brisbane Lions coach, has said, so this is where confusion about the rule is, which I think you might yeah. have the audio So on. David Noble did this last week. He said, no, 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 it's not the 12-day yeah. expected injury. It's whether you could exacerbate the injury within the game. And Chris Fagan on the thresholds last night. He was injured very early. And in fact, it was a courageous effort for him to continue to play. But we made the decision... Um, early in the last quarter, he just couldn't run anymore. Um, you know, it didn't make any sense to keep him out there. We tried for as long as we could because basically he's our one and only ruckman. We've got a couple of backups. Um, so uh, the doctor said enough's enough. He's seizing up. We can't, it's, it doesn't make any sense to keep him going. So we, uh, we took him off. He, he, he rolled his ankle. Um, I'm not sure whether there's ligament um, involvement or not. That'll all, all uh become obvious over the next few days, I suppose. We haven't got long to get ready for Collingwood, so um, it'll, our medicos will obviously be onto it. Just under the rules, did that mean the doctor assessed that he wouldn't be available next week? or No, well, that's not necessarily the case with the rules. Um, you can you can come off because you can no longer continue to play um, and, and still play the next week. Um, you know, we probably could have brought Oscar off right at the moment he did it, but we... He and we decided to tough it out, um, but there came a point in that last quarter where he just couldn't keep going. Where do you think we are with the the sub the medical sub rule? Two weeks, all a week and a bit in. Well, we're confused. Clearly, the rules do state that when a player is medically um, is the medical sub and activated, that it is done so on the assumption that it's reasonably determined the player will be medically unfit to participate in any match for at least twelve days. That's written into the rule book. Mm. Unfortunately, when this rule was sort of rushly put in uh, not long ago, it did feel a bit grey, didn't it? I feel like this is a lot of grey area. Not often you see the grey when a rule is initially brought in. You think, no, no, we think we're all over this. It's going to be this, this and this. And then you work it out later on the grey parts. But this has been grey from the from the get-go from everybody. And I think it's going to continue to be that way, unfortunately. I think what you're saying there, too, is when you bring in a rule and it requires a whole lot of rules to make sure that rule is implemented the right way, I think it's the... The wrong rule for me personally. But I think Chris is right, and I'll say it again. You've got to trust the doctor. They're all they're all mm. in it for the right reasons, um, and, and even being there, and you'll say the same, Craig, that they're, they're, they're there for the player and there for their welfare. So if it took Paul McConnell a quarter and a half to make the right call, that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that um, because some injuries are like that. You know, they, they don't aren't evident at the start. You try them out. You, you run the player for a bit longer. Then you go, nah, this isn't right. This, this could I could be making them worse. Like a hot spot on a foot, for instance. You could be thinking, if I keep running, this could become a stress 
chest fracture. So you often trial them out for a bit, then you then you take them off. So there's an example of one that could be like that. Yeah, this is the Pirates code. They're not so much rules as guidelines. <laughs> yeah, and I'm right. not sure that that's serving the game well. I think that the flow-on issue is if this is going to be the way it operates, once you bring your medical sub in, should the other team just immediately have access to their sub as well? Because fresh legs with eight or ten minutes to go in a desperately close match for an injury that you've worked through the game, yep. is there's an inequity in that, which will invariably come up and, and bite a game severely, I think. Um, and one last twist in all of this is Patrick Dangerfield is going to play today, Sam. He's going to play a VFL practice match. Can you believe it, Jared? Uh, Geelong are playing... Port Melbourne this afternoon, or in fact, in 35 minutes' time, midday today at North Port Oval. Mitch Duncan will join him. We knew he's going to play a half. But Patrick Dangerfield suspended, and he will play in this VFL practice match. The Cats saw Zach Williams played last week for the Northern Blues, and they thought, well, we'll ask the question as well. And they've got the tick off. So Patrick Dangerfield will play in a VFL practice match at North Port Oval in just a shade over half an hour. So you've got your Borough Burgers and one of the best <laughs> players in the comp, Jared, playing suburban football. How good. I'm very surprised that this is permissible. Well, you think a part of a suspension too is you actually don't get to play for that period. So you might even come back in week four a little rusty, you know, as a part of it. But Patrick gets the opportunity now to come back and get a little bit of fine tuning. So it is an interesting one. It's, it's <laughs> I probably wouldn't allow it if it was my competition. But um, look, if it's everyone's doing it, I guess that's um, that's what it is. Joel Selwood and uh, Harris Andrews to join us in the aftermath of last night. I am just curious if you were one of the handful of Lions fans who had to leave at GMHBA Stadium at quarter time last night and find yourself in isolation. Presumably, you've had to have a COVID test this morning. Um, give us a shout. one 736 736 is suddenly on the scoreboard. There was a message at quarter time. So the fracas was happening out on the ground and there's suddenly this message. Luke Hodge and Wayne Carey have to leave the Channel 7 broadcast and there was just a pocket of fans uh, in those away seats down the, down the right-hand end in the pocket. Uh, and we... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply watched a few Lions fans leave. If you do happen to be one of those, one 736 736 Coming up on Crunch Time, Joel Selwood, then Harris Andrews. This is Crunch Time for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. The Cats by a point last night over the Lions and all manner of discussion points in the aftermath. The Geelong skipper Joel Selwood was best of fields and he joins us on Crunch Time. Joel, welcome. Hey guys, how we doing? What'd you make of last night? Uh, well, I, I saw it as two sides on the edge a bit um, after round one um, games that they probably weren't as proud as what they would have liked to put out in round one. So both sides uh, enjoyed Friday night coming around quickly. How personally did you take it? Is It looked like uh, you were absolutely determined to put a mark on it right from the start. Yeah, we were pretty fired up. and Yeah, personally, I uh, would have loved to play better last week. And, um, we understood we had an understanding that we had to come out of the blocks pretty fast and um, not not allow the, the young Brisbane side. We understand that there was, um, you know, there's probably about six or seven guys that are under about 20 games um, and you just didn't want to give them any sort of 
sniff early and get the confidence in the game. There were all, there was tension. It was a, a clear factor watching from outside. What were there were there obvious tensions within the game out on the field? Yeah, there was. I mean, that's uh, that's two sides that have been up there last year that have understand that they they want to get better and um, you know and want to personally um, just get a couple of wins early in the season to probably make the back end look look a bit easier at, at different times. But um, uh, we we expected it to be that way. I'm not sure if the rest of the footy world did. You were left dragging the coach away at quarter time from the opposition. What what was transpiring to your eyes and ears? Well, I'm not sure what actually um, how it played out, but I personally just wanted to um, let him know what I was seeing. Uh, so that's why I went and dragged him away. Yeah, look, one thing uh, is that that was my number one job at Brisbane, is to actually pull Chris out of the fights too. So you've actually joined a very elite company, um, Joel, in that in that there. But one thing I want to know is about the midfield group. Obviously, with the few of the players you have out, um, and you brought in a tagger last night, Mark O'Connor, and did a really good, really good job. How much do you think you're going to stick with that mix through the midfield or when Menegola comes back and Danger comes back, how will that change? And, and particularly your role as well as being more of a full-time mid as opposed to more of a wing mid. Yeah, it's a good question, Leff. I mean, it, it will keep changing throughout the year. Um, yeah, look, we, we might get um, Menegola and Mitch Duncan back next week. Um, that might make us look a little bit different through there. Again, we, we went in inexperienced. We tried to make it as easy as possible for Mark O'Connor to come up. But the one thing that... The, the Mark does is uh, he's just so reliable. Um, we've played him on Charlie Cameron before, um, Link McCarthy, but uh, last night he was a man to go with uh, Lockie. Uh, Joel, Craig Jennings here. Uh, congratulations on the win last night. I thought your, um, your your personal game, you were probably the best player on the ground and led from the front. What I was really interested in is um, how regularly do you train those close finishes and those scenarios? So I saw Hawkins do some great things in the forward ruck to try and create a goal. We saw the Smith one at the end of the game. So how often in your training do you, you train those close game scenarios? Yeah, regularly, Craig. It's, um, you know, the scenario base. I mean, most clubs would, but the um, to do them perfectly is the, the hard thing uh, when you're coming up against opposition that um, you don't know what they're going to put at, uh, do either. Um, so we... Uh, we train what we think is going to be right, but it's it's still the matter of fact of pulling it off is is pretty difficult. And um, we just gave ourselves the best chance. And, and to be honest, you got you got to have luck on your side more times than not. Joel Sam Edmund here. Thanks for your time this morning. Obviously, lots of moments in a, in a one point game that goes without saying. But did do you feel you got, was there an element of relief, or did you think you got lucky with Mark Blitzer at the death there? Oh, I think we probably got lucky in the game altogether when they hit the front. Um, they were hitting the scoreboard late too. Um, fortunately for us that it was behind. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many scenarios over the game and, and that one gets obviously pointed out. Um, we were probably a bit lucky. Um, we made some mistakes during the game and so did the Lions that I'm sure they would like to have back and we definitely would too. Joel, I'm just interested in that last stoppage and Isaac Smith's role of just of belting through. Is that something that is a regular thing that happens or did he just seize the moment and think, oh, I've just got to get through this stoppage and make something happen. We've got to score and hit the front. I think it was probably more of that. He sort of probably saw the space that Hawke opened up and 
Um, one of the reasons for getting Isaac too is he's a genuine winner. He wa- he wants to win all the time, um, and we saw that by him running up and down the ground again. Uh, not only last night, but last week he kicked two goals in the the last quarter, I reckon, um, and gave us a chance when we, we played pretty poorly. Joel, when a team starts a, a run on like Brisbane did last night with four goals in a row, a lot of the levers have been taken out of the game in terms of being able to slow the game down and deny the opposition momentum. How did it feel out there last night? Did you feel like you could get control back or is it just one of those things now where there's not many options to, to slow an opposition run on down? Well, I don't think we did it good enough, but um, you know, you'll know you find that early in the season. Um that when sides get momentum and over the last few years, I reckon it's probably been, um, and Craig and Leopard could probably speak of it more, but it's really hard to wrestle back that momentum and even um, just bring it to a halt. We we just wanted to bring it to a halt um, there for a little while. Um, but, you know, they're a good side and we expect them just to keep coming. And, and Joel, just the, a lot of people have had their say on this, so many moments in this game, but your tackle on Tom Berry, just what you thought of that when you heard the whistle and, and whether there's any element of nervousness on your behalf before Michael Christian makes his uh, decision later on today? Oh, the way that I personally see it, and I, I, the footy world might have a different opinion, but it, he was running at the front of a stoppage and the whistle went, he, he went for a fend-off and... Um, if I go to half tackle him, then he gets through. If I full tackle him, you know the free kick it usually gets thrown back. So teams like Brisbane, if um, Barry gets the ball out a little bit, they've got Link McCarthy and Charlie Cameron, these guys that are going to run onto the ball. They they want to keep the ball live, a bit like Richmond um, with Art and Consagna and um, Martin get it through the front of the stoppage and keep the ball live. So. I just wanted to bring the ball to a stop. Um, personally tackled him, kept him to my chest. Um, he put out the fence, so it's yeah, it's a chance where I reckon that you full tackle because if he if he gets through, then um, it's going to be a score anyway. Are you at all mindful, Joel, of taking a player to the ground in the in the environment that is changing all the time? Well, you have to be, um, and that's why you know you keep them close to your chest and um, you. You take out the swing of the jumper or anything like that. And what did you make of Mark O'Connor's job, which you identified as is the tag is a rare thing in the modern game. We got a proper hard tag last night. Oh, I thought he was outstanding. Um, I thought he was a key reason probably why we got the job done. Lockie's been, you know, elite for a number of years, but last year no one could stop him. Um, and uh, Mark is one of the, those sort of underrated players within the footy club that uh, does regular jobs like that for us and uh, is rated really highly. Are you surprised it's not done more often in the current game? Uh, well, probably, you know, it might look to go back that way with the um, just the trend of the game and, and, you know, the game opening up with, you know, the standing of the mark and whatnot. But... Um, probably expect it to go back that way a little bit more. Do you think it's something now that uh, Chris will use when they play Richmond next time on a certain number four that's <laughs> given a bit of trouble to the Cats in the past? Yeah, he's given everyone a bit of trouble, but, uh, you know, we have plan A, B and C for um, that man himself, but it, sometimes you just can't stop the, the real guns and um, he's really hurt us, but 
when we come across that bridge, I'm sure we'll we'll have another plan set up too. And Joel, Paddy Dangerfield, whether it works or not, <laughs> uh, that, might, that might be a different thing. Sorry, mate. Paddy Dangerfield uh, is having a run around in the Burbs in uh, in 20 minutes' time. Yeah, we're sending him to Port Melbourne, um, so it's a, a practice match. So he brings uh, pulls on we, we, the Bendigo Bank uh, Geelong Cats, so the, the banker's uniform, and uh, it'll be good for him to uh, get out and get a couple of runs before he's allowed back with us. And he thought there'd be no punishment uh, from the, the club for being suspended. No, you know what? And this isn't the punish. This isn't punishment. He was, you know, hand up. Um, you know, not only is it good for him that he can still have a run around, but He's going to play with some of the kids too, and um, help them through with Mitch Duncan. You know, we've got a we've got a bit of money out on that field of Port Melbourne today. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, they get through well. Joel, there is the broad and the narrow in the the Dangerfield discussion because it directly impacts your team on the broad front of whether that serves the game with the reinforcements of, of um, strict liability. Do, do you think there is absolute clarity around that after the events of the week? Uh, I'm. I'm still a little bit unsure. Like, you know, I, I, we understand that, yes, the bump can still be, um, you know, taken out, but it's also you've, you've got really got that duty of care. So Paddy's is such a unique um, figure. Um, you know, he's literally, you know, 97 kilos uh, and as powerful as anyone on the ground. You know, there's only a few like him. Um, when he hits, he, he does hit quite 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 hard. So um, it's it's difficult, you know. I'm probably not for, and this is nothing against Jay, but he's he's a solid footballer. We're probably lucky that it wasn't a kid um, because he could have been out for a bit longer. And hopefully, Jake's back soon. Joel, great to have you with us. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Good work. Joel Silver with us on Crunch Time. In a moment, we'll get the perspective from the Lions. Is They're in the hotel in Geelong. What are their prospects of heading home? Have they been COVID tested this morning? So Harris Andrews is going to join us. You're listening to Crunch Time. Thanks to the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Test drive the new Nissan Navara today. On Crunch Time, you're with Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Lepich and Craig Jennings looking back at the events of last night and indeed Thursday night, then the bigger issues of the game. Harris Andrews is going to join us shortly from down in Geelong where the Lions' future's a little unclear. So there's a lot happening in the Lions' camp, so he'll be with us in a little over 10 minutes' time. To Thursday night, Collingwood said a few things right, kicked a big score, Carlton fans were eager for the validation that they're on the way up and were a bit down in the mouth yesterday, having listened to Kane's first hour in particular. Um, Lepper, how did you see what happened on Thursday night? Oh, I guess from two two different clubs. Collingwood had wrapped it with the ball movement and the way they moved it between the arcs and were able to lower their eyes and, and you know, they only had five marks inside 50 the week prior and, and really dominated that part of the game on the weekend. So Bucks would be wrapped with that part of the game, very fluent, Got great shots on goal, but um, and yeah, Craig. Then you got the Carlton, then where the, the supporters are really, and I've got a few of my family. They're really narky at the moment.
Yeah, I loved Collingwood's game, and they're just such a powerful footy club, and that was the danger for Carlton going in. But uh, I questioned on Thursday on our show, Jared, about uh, the team-first attitude of the Collingwood forwards, and I just thought they were outstanding on Thursday night. Uh, Dugowie looking for players in better spots, and in, in a way, they're almost too unselfish. But you know, Leper, when you're on an opponent and you've just dropped off and you're in a little bit of a tru- in trouble and your teammate comes in and, and spoils for you and helps you out, how much you love your teammate for doing that. And I think even when a pass doesn't come off, when you're being unselfish in, in the forward 50, it still makes your teammate love you and you get it back tenfold. And I just saw so much positivity in that Collingwood forward line. And, and full credit to Hayden Skipworth as well, uh, who I worked with at Essendon. He's the forward line coach there. I saw five forwards inside 50. So you're talking about only five marks inside 50 the week before. But this week they had options. So the kicker going inside 50, uh, the five players were working together to create space and they had um, more options to choose from. And I just thought it was a great effort by Collingwood. Yeah, and the team they've got down there, Collingwood, they are marking forwards. They don't set up their forward structure with a lot of pressure players or anything like that. They all can mark and kick a goal. So the week prior, their strengths were down because they weren't. But this week, all their strengths were heightened because all those mid-side forward, and not, and Mason Cox also, he's not mid-sized, but uh, are all marking targets. So, um, yeah, the, the game plan worked beautifully. Did you? Does that settle how to use Dugowie for you? Yeah, I think so. I don't think he's ever going to be an extremely high-pressure player. But one thing that – and this is getting back to the Lockie Neal thing for the other – when Lockie's getting tags, what's his plan B? Dustin has a plan B. And I think now with Dugowie, because he's such a a dominant goal kicker, you know that at worst you can put him in the mid, but he can go down for us and kick four or five in a game and turn it on its head. So I think um, that's the best role for him. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Dugowie's the forward and maybe if you're three goals down or you're looking for some speed or a momentum shift in the middle of the ground for any particular reason, Dugowie can go in there and pinch it. But uh, I think they need to stabilise that front half and play Cox to keep Dugowie um, down there permanently pretty much. And even Pendlebury forward looks pretty good for them at times. So Grundy clearly chose the ruck and roll at times. So he chose an end after he'd done the ruck work and then uh, he he really did work his way into the game as a figure of influence. And, and it is an evolving position. I doubt it will shift as dramatically as was being forecast after the first round. But there are things within the game that that Gorn and Grundy will need to do. And Grundy, you could see him starting to nut those out. Yeah, I think it's important that coaches, you help your players play their best game. And, and you know, Rucks may be able to ruck the full length of the ground in time, but just for the moment, when I hear Gorn's comments that he was just stuck in the middle and he couldn't get forward and he couldn't get back, uh, and with Grundy's form... Um, you know, being on the agenda. I just think you simplify a, a player's game and, and the ruck and roll for me is you start in the ruck and you roll forward or you roll back and you stabilise whichever area is most important for your footy club. And as you get some rhythm and momentum in the season and, and see how these new rules play out, then you reflect and you change it up if you need to. Geez, you feel for Jamie Elliott too, don't you, Jared? Obviously, fractured fibula. It's going to be three months. And he was the energizer, really, I thought, in this game. But such a history of injuries with him. Ankle, all of 2018. Back issues, hamstring issues. And now when he's looking like he's really up and going for 2021, he's copped a three-month setback. What would you do with Patrick Cripps, Lepper? Look, I think the way Carlton are playing at the moment, they're making the ground very big offensively. And it's very hard for a guy like Patrick Cripps, who really, I mean, he likes to do his best work in an area the size of this, you know, studio. (laughs) Jared, he's a a real in tight player. So I find Carlton at the moment, they're widening the ground, which means off turnover, if they're not perfect, they're just getting smashed back the other way. They're already, after two games, they're minus 11 goals six from mid-turnover. Like, that's a huge number. They've really got to look at how they 
both attack and defend at the same time, I think, Carlton. That's their biggest thing at the moment, whether they use more of a half ground to attack, so then they're better defensively, and that helps the slower, bigger inside mids. Um, whatever it is, but their game planning isn't suiting a Patrick Cripps style of player at the moment. It's an interesting comment about Cripps. I remember planning for him, and you would have done the same, Leper. He was so dominant in close at the stoppages and the clearances, used to get your Ruckman to hit away. Wherever he was standing, you'd hit in the opposite direction just to try and minimise his influence. But for me, I agree. We spoke about that during the week, Jared, about uh, ball security in the middle of the ground for Carlton and their defenders, because they've spread so wide in attack, uh, they're just totally out of play. But there's plenty of one-on-one contests that I think defensively Carlton could look at. And, and I'm very positive about Carlton. I think they've got all the pieces... Um, but they've just got to tidy up a few areas. So sometimes when you're getting beaten by an opposition, you can learn from them. And if you have a look at the third quarter, Carlton were absolutely coming at Collingwood and those Collingwood defenders just fought to the death. The ball was on the goal line regularly. I think Carlton can learn a little bit from that. So they'll go to the review, look at what Collingwood did defensively and just fight to the death to save a goal every opportunity. Do you think they've got all the pieces, Lepper? So Ira, this is the great debate as to whether you are optimistic or pessimistic about Carlton. I think they've got enough talent. There's no doubt. I think that the two parts, I think the game styling is one thing that to help as we talk about. You've got to put a game style in that helps your players. And at the moment, the game styling isn't helping Crips, but it also isn't helping them put on pressure. They're the worst pressure team in the competition. Um, the pressure index, 1.85 is an average. They had 1.58 on the weekend. So that's just to give the, I guess, fans out there a bit of a guide. So um, what that, what is that? That's corralling, chasing. It's physical impact. Um, if you give up lots of uncontested marks, it makes that, that number low too. So basically all the things by making the ground big is not helping them not just in their full ground defence, but also the stuff at the ball. Um, it's hurting them defensively as well. So I think tidy a few of those game plan things up, um, make the ground a little smaller, and I think it'll help Patrick Cripps. You optimistic or pessimistic, Sam? I'm, I'm weighing into the pessimistic category, Jared. I'm being tested. We're only two rounds in. That first hour of Kane yesterday was nah, really something. I had to turn him off. Sorry, It was Kane. really something. Crunch time. We'll check in with the Lions next. Craig Jennings, Justin Lepich, Jared Waitley, and Sam Edmund this Saturday. There's nothing like the conversation on Saturday after a controversial and eventful Friday night. That's the whole role of Friday night footy. It's to invigorate the football world. And those conversations that have started run through Saturday and Sunday. And the highlight of Saturday is the return of Lance Franklin in the early game. So Buddy's back for the Swans. They play the Crows at the SCG. On paper, heading into the season, this didn't look like a gilt-edged fixture, but you wouldn't want to be anywhere else as the afternoon unfolds. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Leppage, Craig Jennings with you on Crunch Time. We're about to touch base with the Lions. But just a word on Buddy first is... He's been denied footy for too long. We've been denied watching him play footy for too long. I feel like we're, we're all invested in this. Yeah, I just don't want him to get in the way. <laughs> <laughs> of this exciting young forward line that Sydney got. Do you think there's a chance of that, Craig? He's going to do that? Oh, they were amazing last week. And, and uh, I just think the, the, the Pike influence on that footy team has been pretty profound. So you've got Longmire, whose DNA is really stuck in defence, but he's clearly been an open-minded coach. He brings in Pike, and I can see plenty of Adelaide system with that ball movement that the Forge really benefit from. So what should we expect from Franklin. Like he's hardly <sighs> likely to creep back in the game, is he? No, he, he loves to make an impact, doesn't he? Um, look, most players would be happy just to you know create a contest, create a spillage, bring the ball to ground. But I've got a feeling Buddy will want more impact than that. Um, one thing I'm, hopefully he does is play a little bit within his means because it's the first time he's going to play at such a dynamic level for a long time. And 
as you get older, you think the brain thinks you can do it, but the body sometimes can't. So my big thing for Buddy today is just play within your means a little bit. Um, play it, and it might sound bad, play it 99%, not 100, because often those last few movements are the ones that that when you pull up a bit sore or, you know, things happen. We'll come back through this. Harris Andrews is with us from the Lions. Harris, welcome to Crunch Time. Hey, guys. How are you? We're well. What's your scenario? Is What do you know about uh, about your life in the next few days? Yeah. Um, nah, so I'm pretty sure we're staying in Melbourne tonight. Um, we're uh, going to have to obviously get on the bus and, and get a COVID test here in Geelong and then, um, you know, go down to Melbourne and... Um, yeah, stay the night there. So not ideal, but, um, you know, we understand as a playing group and, and as a footy club that, um, you know, we've got to be flexible with the situation and um, a little bit of time together with the boys this afternoon and won't hurt anyone. So, yeah, we'll be fine. Is there any chance that you'll be here for the week and that Thursday's game will become a Melbourne game rather than a Brisbane game? Oh, no, I haven't. No, we haven't even talked about that, to be honest. Um, we're probably just more concerned about what's going on today and um, you haven't heard anything about the game or anything like that so um, yeah that's where that's at I guess Are you feel, So do you feel a level of uncertainty as this puts us back in very familiar territory to last year which you mightn't live to quite as acutely as those who are based in Melbourne Yeah I didn't obviously we didn't really get to experience it um, you know how hard it was for the people of Victoria um, up in Brisbane but um, yeah I think uh, we'll just keep rolling with, with the way we've the situation is and um, keep listening to our uh, our managers and that sort of thing at the footy club, the COVID manager and um, and obviously Danny Daly is the head of football. So, yeah, they, they've obviously getting the information and um, we'll just, uh, yeah, roll with it. Who is your COVID manager, incidentally? Because it's a big portfolio today. It is, yeah. Uh, Mitch Lane. Um, so he did a bit of stuff with, uh, with Cricket Australia and um, through some of their hubs and the Big, ba- uh, the big Bash League. So um, he's done a really great job at the club with, um, you know, upholding the protocols and that sort of thing during during COVID. And, um, you know, he's got his work cut out for him over the next couple of days, I imagine. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, as a group, really support him and, and just abide by what he uh, what he gets told to do. So are you literally being taken as a group to get COVID tests shortly? Uh, we're, just, we're just sitting in the hotel in Geelong, yeah. So um, it's pretty low-key. I think they're getting some people in to, to test in the next hour or so. And then... Um, yeah, I assume we're staying in Melbourne tonight. Hope you got enough clothes there, Harris. Did you have a go bag for an event such as this? Well, I didn't plan for it, but um, you know, hopefully there's some washing or something that can be done there at the airport. Uh, sorry, at the um, at the hotel in Melbourne, but should be fine. I can't imagine we'll be doing too much, uh, you know, going out or anything like that. So. Um, yeah, it'd be right, just chilling out in my pyjamas in my room. <laughs> Obviously, in this regard, you know, you guys are on the, the positive side of the ledger, if we can call it that, last year. It sort of worked in your favour logistically. This was your club's first away game with opposition supporters since around 23-2019, and we know it's one of the toughest trips in footy. Was it a shock to the system? Uh, I don't think it was a shock to the system. Um, you know, we've obviously played, as you said, like two or a year and a half ago that we played in that game, but... Um, a lot of us guys sort of had an understanding of what it was going to be like when we've come down here. We've played down here before. Um, probably a really good learning experience for a lot of the younger guys that haven't played in those away games, um, you know, to experience a, an away crowd and, and just how volatile the, uh, the environment down there is. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a real kick, I guess, going into a stadium and being able to play against, um, you know, a really quality football team and, um, you know, against their supporters as well who, are really loud and cheer hard for them, and obviously, um, you know, sort of boo us when we're not when we're going all right. So, 
um, it's a really good learning curve and something that you know we're going to have to come across throughout this year and many years going forward. Harrison Slepper here, mate. If you um, if you do need a bed for a few extra days, I'm happy for you to come down and stay with me on the peninsula, buddy, if you need. But um, just, <laughs> just getting to the game last night, the influence of Danaher um, and the relationship with him and Eric Hipwood, that's the one I'm really interested in. I saw week one that Danaher was really that forward 50 player. And then yesterday, Eric had a, had his turn a little bit and was really good in the forward 50. How's, how do you see that relationship working together and uh, for the not just for now, but for the long term? Yeah, I think Lepper there... Um they're really flexible players. Like, obviously, they've got their strengths. Eric's really good at getting around the ground, um, being able to get on the lead and, um, you know, trying to expose his, his opponent with his speed and that sort of thing. And then you've got Joe, who predominantly um, does his best work in the marking contests and, and taking the ball at the highest point. But um, I think with those two boys, they can sort of get a feel for how they're going. And, um, you know, Joe might start deep inside 50. And if he feels like he needs to get more involved in the game, then he can potentially play a little bit higher and push Eric deep. So... Um, you know, it's a week by week thing, and obviously, depending on matchups and how they feel they can expose those matchups, um, that'll happen. And, and obviously, those guys have played a fair bit of footy for themselves and have a really good game sense. So, if they feel like they're not quite impacting the game the way they want to, then they can um, switch it up and, and, you know, have different starting positions. And, um, they've worked hard over the preseason to be able to build their relationship and, and that connection. And um, I feel like last night we were able to sort of get a bit more of that um, proof in the pudding, and um, that's really exciting for us going forward. Harris, Craig Jennings here. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the clubs I worked at, um, we had to train specifically for your spoils and, and where we would position ourselves for, for crumbing. So that's a real credit to the way you go about your game. What I'm really interested in is last night, and I know it's sometimes difficult for players to remember all the messaging in breaks, but um, I thought your kicking strategy last night um, Geelong were able to pick a few off and score going back the other way. They definitely got two goals from that method in a close game. It makes a big difference. So a two-part question. I was, I was wondering if it came up last night in terms of your kicking strategy, whether you had to adapt or adjust in game, and how much time did you put into the new rules with the kicking strategy over the summer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for us, we obviously Geelong put some really good heat on the ball last night. We felt we were under pressure a fair bit. And, um, we tried to get the game in our front half, so it was a bit of a territory battle um, throughout parts of the night. And then I think particularly in the second quarter, we were able to sort of own the ball by foot um, and sort of start to build our uncontested marks, which obviously they do really well as well. And um, It's a bit of a fine line between, um, you know, overusing the ball and, and creating pressure on yourself and um, not being able to own the ball by foot. So... Um, I think, yeah, obviously a couple of turnovers hurt us a little bit because we lose our shape defensively. But, um, yeah, we, we'll continue to work on um, that new man-the-mark rule as well, being able to exploit that. And, and it was really good learnings last night because we feel like Geelong did that quite well. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take some good learnings from that. Now, Harris, I know you probably haven't had the uh, review yet, but just your first glimpse of that last defensive 50 stoppage, the one where... Isaac Smith, I was able to walk through the front. Have you, has that been discussed yet as a group or did you just discuss it all out there on the ground? Um, oh, we haven't sat down and watched the edit um, yet. But, yeah, certainly probably the way he was able to get through the stoppage and, um, you know, kick the goal was, was quite disappointing. Um, probably lost a little bit of structure there late in the game. And, um, you know, to kick that goal, with, I'm not sure if there was three or four minutes to go, um, we sort of, Felt like we'd give ourselves another chance after that and um, certainly we'll take some really good learnings being able to identify what went wrong in that moment when we do sit down and watch the uh, watch the tape this week. But, um, 
yeah, obviously a disappointing moment for us. Have you watched the Zach Bailey tackle on Mark Blitzovs? Uh, I did, yeah, watched a little bit of it last night. I was all over the social media stuff, so, um, yeah. What, I, what's I, your decision, probably, Harris? Uh, I, I'm not going to comment on it, but, um, you know, it's a tough game to umpire, and um, ideally, you know, we would have loved for it to go our way, but that's the way the cookie crumbles a little bit, and, um, you know, we're just going to roll on with it. And I think last night for us was a really gave us really good understanding that um, when we bring our effort and intensity, um, you know, we can compete with the best in the league. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take that away and, and get up to Brisbane and um, get organised for Collingwood on Thursday night, hopefully. Harris, were you within earshot at quarter time? Uh, yeah, I was there about. So, to, be honest, to be honest with you, I didn't really hear too much. I was, I was more focused on trying to get the boys into the huddle and, and talk about the first quarter. So, um, yeah, I didn't really get, get involved at all, I guess. It's an was it an unusual scenario to be unfolding? Uh, oh yeah, like you're obviously not getting that sort of situation every week. But um, yeah, oh, to be honest, as I said, I was just trying to get O and and some of those boys that were talking to the Geelong uh, Geelong players um, to try and get them into the huddle because we weren't going quite well at quarter time, and I think we just needed to address a few things that were letting us down, and um, it felt like we were able to do that. Harris, it's great to chat. Just so, give us a picture. Is is the team in isolation? Can you not leave the hotel for a walk or anything like that at the moment? Yeah, we're just hanging out at the hotel in uh, on a level in the hotel we've got dedicated to ourselves. So there's a fair bit of cricket being played. Um, <laughs> the boys are on their laptops, a bit of Netflix and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, a bit of time together, never hurt anyone. So is that the bit of guidance you've been given? So you'll move from a hotel to a bus and then to the next hotel and avoid just for the time being any any contact with anybody else? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the situation. So, um, yeah, the testers will come in and that sort of thing and we'll get get the results and um, hopefully all things will be clear and then we'll be able to uh, fly out of Melbourne tomorrow once we um, spend the night here. So we're looking forward to it. Fingers crossed. Good on you, Harris. Always appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me, fellas. Harris Andrews with us on Crunch Time. So definitely here tonight. Well, clearly the AFL's buying as much time as they can, yeah. aren't they, Jerry? For, for the Queensland government to perhaps get a better grasp of the situation up there, to give the AFL some clarity or assurance as much as they can anyway that the Brisbane Lions can go home and then we can carry on the season as yeah. normal. They don't want to get stuck there. So the Courier-Mail's reporting there's been one new case of community transmission of COVID-19 in Queensland, a, co- a close contact of the Brisbane man who tested positive yesterday. So 18 close contacts have been identified. Is You only have to run through experience yep. of what happened um, in January in Brisbane, what happened in Melbourne, just a snap five-day lockdown to keep it under control. So the Queensland government won't know yet, and so football's a little down the list. I just can't imagine you would have the team fly back until you had absolute clarity yep. that there wasn't going to be a snap lockdown. And as we've seen, the first 24 hours are crucial. So we should be in a better position to know the extent of it by hopefully this time tomorrow, Jerry. Mm. You might have a whole bunch of Lions players coming down. <laughs> the oh, no, actually, you won't be allowed to see them. They'll be in isolation. No, you can't be at Leopard's house. What was that? Oh, because they've got to be in isolation. Oh, of course, they've got to be in isolation. Look, one thing I will say about Harris Andrews, he, he is a fantastic guy. I think he was saying, too, that it was holding the ball, to be yeah, perfectly honest, uh, in his nicest possible way. He'll be their next captain, um, uh, terrific, terrific player and a uh, terrific person. So um, it, it, was, uh, it was just good to speak to him. But they've got a big test in front of them. If they have to spend these five days and yeah. play in Melbourne, it's, uh, the more we think about it, it's starting to look like the likely scenario, isn't it, um, to happen? Well, I just think you can't, 
take any chances given that they're already here. I think what would be really interesting to know would be behind the scenes, are they planning to bring the rest of the squad to Melbourne rather than sending the current squad back to Brisbane? Mm. Mm. Um, and that's, I agree, they'll give themselves the 24 hours, but why you would fly a team back to a hotspot that's not currently in a hotspot? would be beyond me. So much to deal with. And they've got their number one Ruckman. How important is he? Who, who They're going to have to go through the protocols for that too. That's going to have to be ticked off by Peter Harcourt, the chief uh, medical officer at the AFL, if he is going to be eligible to play. Who can they fly down to replace him? All these questions, Jared. Mm. The, the main issue of the week was the bump, which uh, everybody got to, to pass judgment on and then work the extrapolation out. Was the game well served, Lepper, by the three-week suspension of Patrick Dangerfield? Look, I thought it was. I thought it was about the right number. I know I think Kingy wanted it a little bit more severe than that, but I don't think there was enough intent from Dangerfield to hurt. It was it was just a poor decision, in, in my opinion, um, to decide to bump. Um, and as we said, it's almost out of the game now. And we spoke about it a little bit on Tuesday that if you elect to bump, um, you're pretty much in trouble. You always have to come in with an open body, open arms, um, to look like you're tackling. Um, but, yeah, those sort of actions, um, they're nearly done out of the game. I think too, Leper, and uh, I can't remember ever being at a footy club where you trained bumping. And we at, at Melbourne, you access, and I'm sure a lot of Melbourne clubs do, you access uh, Melbourne Storm and the rugby players, and no doubt they do that up in Sydney and Queensland as well. So I think it's just something that you, you train and ingrain in your players to teach them to tackle correctly, and then there's no need to train the bump. But was there a message around bumping at Richmond? You just, as Craig said, you don't train it. You don't even think about it. So often you don't you don't think about it, you don't see it in the game. It's funny in rugby league, they, it's actually a reportable offence to bump if you come in late. So it always has been. So our game, though, it's always been there, um, which is quite strange. Um, so, yeah, again, it's something that I'm sure the AFL will want to slowly stamp out altogether in the next few years. So Leon Cameron went as far to, to say on Monday night on 360 that they now, if there is a bump, they clip the edit. They ask the player why he chose to bump. And then they go about the coaching of, well, let's not do that. Let's let's workshop the alternatives so that we train it out of your, your makeup. And that's it. And it's the players like Dangerfield, and we spoke about that, do accelerate into contact. They're the ones that are in most danger because they're accelerating in. Their first thought is, I'll win the ball. And then all of a sudden the player jumps in front of them. Oh, now I've got another snap decision to make. And that snap decision has to be tackled, not I'll just you know lower my shoulder a little bit and bump. That's the one you've got to get out of. You know, anyone who's played the game knows how hard it is when you're in situations like that, particularly those players that, that really attack the contest with the heat he does. You just reminded me, Leper, it might be a unique thing for Danger because if you think of the way he plays, and especially early in his career, he was such a head-first player. He's just that sort of player that looks for contact and to go in at 100 miles an hour, and when the ball's near him, he actually gets quicker, not slower like a lot of players. So it's an interesting point. It might be very specific to Danger. There is a difference between the high-velocity bump contacts and the, the close-to-the-ball banging of bodies to clear the way. So I feel like some of the definitions are getting a little lost here, whether you refer to it as the old shirt front or whatever it used to be. You can divide the two. There's, there's a level of battery that happens in close near the ball. Jake Nile had a nice way of describing it around sort of slow bowling and fast bowling in cricket. Yeah, you're right, because in close, there is a lot more, you know, incidental bumping, that sort of thing, no velocity, but anything out in the open field. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of clubs teach now in the open field to actually shorten your steps and actually corral a little bit so that you don't go too hard through the contest and, and actually, you know, miss the tackle. Um, but in Danger's case there, you're right, he's in an open field, velocity, 
Um, and accidents are going to happen when you do that. And that's just the, and that's just the thing that he probably has to stamp out of his game in those moments. But what Craig spoke about, still, still accelerate down and put your head down and win that ball. That's still a good part of the game. But it's those open field moments where you've got to really think twice. Is the toughness of the game, the ferocity of the game, diminished in any way by if the bump becomes extinct? No, I don't think it has any relevance on the game. Um, Lepra, I don't know if you have a coach from the bench, but any opportunity at AFL level when you watch the game at ground level, it actually blows your mind how hard these players hit each other and the velocity and the speed of the game is incredible. Yeah, well, yeah, I did coach from the bench and we, we lost a few times. So I coached from the coach's box and we lost a few times. And, and I thought, why don't I coach from the car park? <laughs> we might actually win a game. So, but, you, but you're right. The, um, but you're right. The, the players themselves, when you do, and only sort of late in quarters as an assistant coach, you come down and you're like, wow. Yeah. You really feel that whack. And in COVID last year when there was no crowds, it was actually even more. Um, you could hear it even louder and even stronger. So it's as good a precedent as, as we've had in a long time, Sam. So recounting the history of the, the bump accidental head clash across eight years and the flip-flopping that had happened is, I do think this is the most far-reaching precedent that between the MRO, uh, between the rules, so the MRO to the tribunal, which has enshrined a few things, including that from here on, the instance of concussion will be regarded as severe impact, which is nothing less than the code is obliged to do in the current circumstances with concussion. Black and white. I think we've got it to a black and white stage. It's been no small process, as you allude to, but even in Dangerfield's language during the week, it did change from the immediate aftermath to post-tribunal. Even his language changed, so it has been slow for some of the players to catch on, but it's there in black and white. You choose to bump, you are completely and utterly liable for, for the aftermath. So... As unfortunate, and I think a lot of us have sympathy for Dangerfield's position because he does hit the ball at such high speed. And these are, geez, they're frightfully small margins in terms of the time to react. Um, but you bump, you, you wear the consequence. It is amazing to think mm. that under nines, and Leper and I are a similar vintage, when you played under nines, you couldn't tackle, you could only bump. That's right. Isn't it incredible to think how far the game has gone? Well, what happens today if Danger plays and it happens again? And he get the same motion. He bumps someone. Can he get suspended again? What What is the... A suspension on a suspension. A dream on a dream. It's a bit like that movie, isn't it? And this is the ludicrous nature of of Zach Williams being able to play last week and Dangerfield being able to play this week. So you've, you have unpacked it exactly in that question. So is it a sanctioned game or not? And of course it's a sanctioned game. And if something goes awry, there, there will be... There would be a report. So an if you run this to its end, it's absurd. An add-on then? There'd be an add-on well, where you get the suspension ha- on top uh, of. Yeah, and it's not that it is in, it will happen or anything, but that's the absurdity of of having a VFL practice match is a sanctioned game. It's not a scratch match organised by two random teams to go and play. And the very fact that the uniforms are being wear, yep. uh, worn, as, as Joel Selwood said, the bankers, the Medigo bankers. <laughs> yep. Team lists were put out. Yeah. That's a, yep. I, I just can't. It, it's, I find it illogical. It's fraught with danger, isn't it? Yeah, of course yeah. it is. Um, but the precedent was set, obviously. With that's Carlton, right. Which... So it's a it's a chosen position. Is they've thought through it and gone, no, we we want this to be a possibility for players to keep themselves viable. When you're suspended, you've got no rights. Mm. How did Dangerfield come through the week? Do you think so? He carried the two posts, and he grappled with it. So I spoke to him on Wednesday morning. You could hear his internal grapple as as the player himself 
He just wasn't happy with it. And as the Players Association, he has to get himself to the point where you go, we haven't been very good at this in the past. Our player body has to be better. And and there was clearly a lot of commentary, and he felt it was akin to being on trial for murder. That's the intensity Mm. of uh, his personal scenario. It's the first time he felt it. How, How do you think he came through the week? Look, I thought he was good. I think um, for me, it's it's an eighty twenty thing. Eighty percent of danger was like I am just attacking this contest to my ability, and I'm not trying to hurt someone. What I'd love for him to walk away with is the twenty. Is that what do I now get out of this? It, you know, I've now done it. Should I now accelerate into a contest when someone's there when they're open? No, they're, they're the sorts of things I'd like for him to walk away and think about and go, yeah, I'll, I'll change that in my game, even though he may feel a little hard done by because he was just trying to accelerate in the contest and make an impact. But there's always, even when you don't mean to at times, you make a mistake. And um, But I thought after after the decision, I think he's been terrific as far as you know how, how he's responded to it. The way he plays is what we absolutely love about him. But when it comes to concussion, it's even with my young boys, I teach them not to run back with the flight of the ball. So the Jonathan Brown thing that we loved mm. and what we love about Dangerfield, about how hard he hits, I think they're from an era gone by and we protect the head and, and the advantages you get out of, of that type of play are pretty minimal. So I'd rather reduce the risk in terms of head injuries and, and just let the, the game be hard in other areas. Do you follow the concussion debate? Uh, not debate, the... Um, the learnings around concussion with interest at all, Leffer? Yeah, I do because I have some. I even have some friends and ex-players that sometimes you worry about um, that have had head knocks, and you think, "Geez, are, they are. Are they a little different to what they were 20 years ago?" Um, you know, I won't name names, but you, you, you think that this has gotten, and these are guys that actually had lot had a lot of concussions in their time. So it is a serious thing, and um, and I think as you get older, you know, when I was a player and and. I used to reflect on the older commentators at the time or older coaches to go, oh, you know, how about you saying that? You used to run around clipping people all the time, leave the game alone sort of thing. But now I now, now know why older personnel talk to the younger players that are out there that are in the battering line to say, guys, we're here to look after you. You don't want to be 20 years down the track and then say, I wish the game had looked after me a bit more because that's what happens a little bit as we get older and wiser. We, we reflect and, and want to be looked after. So just the players need to know all these decisions and all these former players that are out there banging on to you, we promise you we're trying to make your life better in the back half of your back half of your life. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think we've got an obligation as leaders in the game to save the players from themselves because clearly when you're playing, you think football is the only thing. But as you get older and wiser and you have children, you realise that there's plenty of things to love about football without needing that, um, you know, those incidences of concussion in the game. And you also realise football is only an eighth of your life if you do it well. You know, that's if you do it well. You've got a lot of life to live after this. So um, at the moment, it's all-consuming and danger. We feel these moments as all-consuming. But guess what, Paddy? One day you, you won't be and you'll be on your own, probably fishing with your own fishing show and all that. But you don't want to have that fishing show if, as a blithering mess either. So it, it's just to make sure that, yeah, as you mentioned before, we protect the players from themselves. This is where you'd love to see independent testing come in. And there is scope for that on the concussion front, Jared. that we just take it completely out of the, the players' hands. No scat tests or anything like that. Nothing that you've done pre-season that them got to marry up for. And we've heard some alarming things in that regard as well. Because the players, as Leper and Craig are talking about, just want to get back out there as quick as they can. The vast majority of them. It'd be great to have blood tests. There is scope to do this, whether the AFL's prepared to go down this route or not. But that would rule it out categorically, yeah. that it's a medic, more medically based. In, in time, they'll be obliged to, because be, there'll be a day where the governing body has to answer, what did you do in yep. real time to make the game safer did you do and enough? the prevention of concussion? 
And the check that gets written at the end of that will rely on the answers therein, which is my point during the week is had the tribunal downgraded this from severe to high, the code had a massive problem on its hand and it would have had to have taken steps to rectify that within the week, which would have looked like an appeal because they are duty bound in the strictest sense of care for the players. The crunch is next. The rest of the issues between round one and round two. The catch down the Lions by a point on a night of huge controversy. The Lions for the moment are remaining in Victoria. They certainly expect to be here tonight. That last holding the ball call, which wasn't given. We await the formal verdict of an error from the AFL. And then we cast our eyes towards what's coming this afternoon with Buddy Franklin returning to the field of play after being absent for too long. In the crunch, we kick around all the live topics in the AFL at the moment. Jared Waitley, Justin Leppridge, Craig Jennings and Sam Edmonds with you. Lepper, there was a, a coaches survey, the results of which were made public during the week, that included a, a, an overwhelming majority seeking to be allowed to trade players without their consent. Is Kane Corns is big on this. I'm absolutely in his camp. What's your view? I think it needs to be done. Um, just just for a couple of reasons. The the main one being is that you can sign a player for a very long. Let's use Brody Grundy for an example. Um, you're bound by that seven year. I mean, yeah, it was a great to get that deal for a Brody, but one day you may want to change your team up. You might have a young ruckman coming through, and you may want to sell that contract. And look, it's a worldwide thing. It's what we do. I know the AFLPA don't like it. Um, I've actually seen firsthand had a meeting with them when I was coaching the Lions how they are just flat against this um, particular thing. But it's so strong from a coach's end um, to be able to do it. And to think about it too, you're only going to trade a player that you think would be better somewhere else. And not only that, if, if a player thinks about this, another club wants you. So what you're basically saying is um, this coach wants me more than my current coach. So I don't know why you'd want to stick around under that circumstance. You think about it in a workplace, if another boss wants you more, go to that person um, because they want to play you. They want to give you, so I don't see, it's not like it's just going to be this ridiculous um, can of words opening up where Dustin Martin next year is at North Melbourne and, you know, Trent Cotchin's gone. It's, it's not going to be crazy like that, but it just, well, we saw it calling with the charade that was played last year. If there was, if this rule was in place, it wouldn't have drawn out to the extent it did. But that wouldn't be their only motivation, that he Adam Trelaw would be better at the Western Bulldogs. We know they had a completely different other motivation, matters of their own doing. They got themselves into a salary cap mess, which wasn't Adam Trelaw's fault. But in this instance that you guys raised, he'd be forced out, that we forced out anyway. But that's we right. lived a lie, didn't we? we? It was ridiculous. Yeah, and that's right. And then, you know what? Clubs are going to make mistakes. I mean, this is where Colin just had to put their hand up and say, look, we made a salary cap error. We need to fix it. That's okay. People make mistakes. so And it happens all the time in the American sports where they've got to do a salary dump yep. and players have to move on. So it's to, it's going to take a while to be a part of our regular language, but I think we should start heading towards it. That's the thing. Are we mature enough as an industry? I'm not sure we can even abide by the NRL model that sees players traded out and they're still playing for that club for, the, for that given season. I don't know if we can handle it, Jared. Well, it's interesting. I think fans are now so sophisticated around the, the trade period. And this is why Collingwood's biggest mistake was trying to tell its fan base something that they fully understood themselves. Yep. It was like they were preaching to the old naive group of fans who didn't... That, the Collingwood fans, in a way, had a better grasp on Collingwood's scenario than maybe a few of the, the previous generation's managers who were in positions. So... If you're guaranteed tenure and you're guaranteed money, I'm not sure that in the in the next wave you can be guaranteed location. It's and, just yeah. whether the way 
are players paid enough to be displaced? So in America, as mm-hmm. and that is the you know, if this works around the world. The AFL sort of tiptoed into free agency and the like and put all sorts of constraints around it for fear of what it might look like. Around the world where it's more open slather, you are earning, like, way mm. more money. And you go, yes, you're getting your $20 million. Buzz off to another state. Is if you're earning $600,000, is it enough to say, okay, you have to go from Melbourne to Brisbane because we want you to? Yeah, and that's a good point. Um, and that's where the players will want to push back on this particular rule. I think the one thing also, Jared, that's it's bigger than all this, the jury's out on how to build a footy club in AFL. We've been doing this 20 years. You get the best young kids, you keep them together, you get a five, six-year stint at it, and then you might win two or three. Look, we have had, we've got a team going for the third three-peat in 20 years. You know, using the same system, like it, three-peats never existed until I played. They're like, wow, we're the first ones to ever do it since 1920. Now they're like, you know, it happens every, you know, five, six years, another three-peats coming up because you, you just use that system. So with the trading, so teams that are stuck in the middle, how are they going to get, the, they've got to either go to the bottom and then come back up or they get stuck in the middle a lot. So this trading mechanism will actually help those teams also to go, you know what, we don't have to wait four years. Mm. We don't have to go to the bottom and get kids because what we can do now is just be dynamic, sit on a computer for five minutes and email a few teams and get our list in order. And it's a probably a bit of a super coach way to do it, but at least you don't have to go through the rigmarole. I've got to ring the manager and be nice to them. And like the Collingwood charade, it's like, you know, it, it can be done much quicker that way, I think. Jared, you mentioned the number 600000 I'd move anywhere in the world for $600,000 right now. But I um, had a really close relationship or have one with Benny Graham and it was just normalised in their sport. So he moved through the family three or four times throughout America and I think it will end up coming in. And and remember that you might not necessarily get uh, traded interstate. There's a pretty good opportunity that you can um, move clubs within the same state. And um, I remember Alistair Clarkson talking about Jordan Lewis's 300 games uh, he came across to Melbourne Footy Club and, and he was talking about that he doubled his network. And, and you know, Leper, from coaching at two different football clubs, that there's amazing benefits for working at different footy clubs. You experience all clubs have the same trademark, but their cultures are so different and you meet so many new people and your network really expands. So there's a lot of benefits to changing clubs. And, mm. you know, I think Steph Martin, clearly he had some choice in the, in the matter, but look what he's done with his career um, moving from Melbourne to Brisbane and, and back again, and there's plenty of examples of that as well. The prison bars debate. Mm. So this is a really short discussion, I think. I just can't understand why the AFL wouldn't send a memo today and say Port Adelaide can choose to wear whichever jumper it likes in its home games at Adelaide Oval henceforth. Well, either send that or send the opposite. Just send something, Jared. Have they been soft on this? Why can't they just take a hardline stance and we'd be done with it? Well, because Eddie Maguire ran such a tirade against it, he's no longer in his position. This is just a competition issue. The AFL just should settle it today. Just decide. And send. And, and there's no reason for it to be the no. That, that historic deal that was done... The AFL never gets bound by historic bad deals and agreements. It all, it's always renegotiating things. Just let Port Adelaide wear the jumper that they want to wear in their home games at Adelaide Oval, and they can never wear it against Collingwood. It's done on a pen stroke, and there's only one correct outcome to it, and it's that. Port should be wearing the prison bar jumpers whenever the hell they want to. How much prison bar, bar fatigue do you have, Leper? <laughs> 
I'll tell you what's one of the interesting things. There's a lot of teams that have the same colours, don't they? Blue and white. We've got a few teams out there. So it's not, is it the black and white that Collingwood don't like? Because they're not exactly the same jumper. I mean, he's a relatively black jumper with really thin white stripes. So Collingwood's jumper, in essence, isn't anything like it. I mean, the, the stripes go the same way. So yeah. there's a, some sort of system there that's similar. But I look at the two jumpers and don't see the same jumper. I see the same colours, but that's about it. The idea that I would go to the AFL shop and stand there agonising is, am I going to buy the Collingwood black and white jumper and I'm going to buy the Port Adelaide black and white jumper? It's just preposterous in the extreme. It's a trademark issue, Jared. Mm. Trademark issue. Got to protect the trademark. Let's just settle it enough already in Port Adelaide's favour. Are the Giants, Leper, I know you... You had a keen eye towards them on what happened on Sunday, and it start, it gets urgent for them quickly, I think, because they've lost to an undermanned St Kilda, and now they play a, a hellishly undermanned Fremantle. As they've got to go to Perth and balance their ledger. Yeah, and look, in watching their game, and we, a lot of us did watch the documentary, didn't we? And and a lot of Leon's um, you know background and what he teaches is a lot about effort and contested possessions. And last week, well, he can't complain about their output with the Giants players because they smashed them in contested possession, 170, clearly AFL won. Um, most inside 50s, AFL won for intercepts for the round. Uh, they won time in possession on the game by five minutes and still lost the game. So as far as effort goes, they brought it. And I know it was a wet game, so those numbers can be heightened, but they brought the effort last week and still lost to an undermanned team. So... Is there something else? Um, I'll be just be a very keen watch for the Giants to see if there is there something in their game styling that needs to change, because I think the effort is there, um, but they're still not getting over the line, which can be a bit of a red flag. Yeah, I, I concur with you, Leper, and I don't think a lot has changed from last year, even though the rules have changed. So clearly they're ticking the effort box, but for me they need a game style overhaul, a game style that suits the current rules or the new rules, and a game style that suits their players really well. And if they can't beat St Kilda when they were so un- undermanned, I think it's going to be a challenging year for GWS. Um, they should get across the line with Freo because um, you know Fremantle are struggling with injuries so badly. But if it's about GWS, then they need a little bit of a game style overhaul, I think. When Buddy was at the peak of his powers and you were both in coaches' boxes, how much effort did you try to work out into how to curtail him or was he just the ultimate white flag player? As if he's going to do that, what on earth can you do? We obviously had Alex Rance in the early days when I was coaching, so it was, you know, t- terrific to have a play that you were confident you can put on him and actually do a pretty good job. A pretty good job means keeping him under three or four goals. Like, and Alex would do that regularly. But geez, he's a wonderful player. I actually played on him. I think it was my second last game ever of footy, and it was his first or second game. And uh, I was thinking, geez. They're getting taller, they're getting stronger, they're getting fitter and faster. It's like, I'm out of here. You know, like he's a freak of an athlete. And um, yeah, and uh, it's, it's, yeah, and we're very lucky to have a guy that could actually do okay on him um, in my coaching time. I think that's the thing. Are you at a club that's got a player that can do something? And when I think of Dustin Martin, Michael Hibbert played on him and beat Mm, him. Um, So there was a player at that football club that could do the job. But in my time against Franklin, what you did was you accepted that he's going to have a good day. So you try to win in the margins in other areas, like win more clearances, uh, create more scores, defend this or tag this player out of the game. But you just accept that Franklin, and it's a little bit similar to the Ablett conversation. Uh, Heath Hocking tagged him one day and he had 45 possessions Ablett, 
but Hocking was our best player because 42 of them were in the back half and we just accepted that if Ablett gets it in the back mm. half, that's a win for us. We just don't want him hitting the scoreboard. So what is a win? Is it marks on the lead out in the wing for Buddy? Just let him have those. And, yeah. and then we'll really crunch down on the kids that are probably up and about inside 50 at the moment thinking, oh, AFL's pretty easy. Yeah. You know, we had a great game. We all kicked goals. And they'll make, there's going to come a time that, as young players do, they'll come crashing down. So you think you accept the, the marks on the wing to Buddy? Yeah, and I think it's about scoreboard impact. So if he's up on the wing and he's not connecting inside 50, you're minimising his scoreboard impact. But for me, it really just comes down to your personnel. And being honest, that um, we don't have the match-up, so how do we get advantages in the other area or, or other areas? And if you do have the match-up, then, you know, good luck to you. I'm intrigued how they're going to use him, uh, really, because it's been so how long. How would you use him today? Well, with goal square? Or yeah, like... I'm thinking maybe goal square, start with that and let the kids do their work up the field and then manage his way up the field. Because as Craig mentioned, he gets banged for buck there, but he's not the best stand under the footy sort of key forward going around. He's better when he's got a little bit of that movement and maybe running back to goal. So it's going to be interesting to see how they use him. I didn't know Lance through Louis and the way he speaks about him. And what I, what I hear is that he won't be able to help himself. He's going to impose himself mm. on the game but what I would say is there's no pressure on Lance Franklin so it's not the Lance Franklin that had to win premierships for his team now what you're saying Lepper he's got great forwards around him let them get on with the job so he can um, just ease himself back into the competition and he doesn't have to carry the weight of the team on his shoulders Sam just an update uh, Jared on the Mark Blitzarv's non-decision well Dan Richardson the head of umpiring will have a he's doing a press conference mm. 140 outside AFL house today so we'll have a decision from the AFL on what they thought of it uh, shortly the magnitude in these things <laughs> particularly out of a Friday night and a thriller at that who needs a rever for Harley Heaven the Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. So a rev up for the round ahead. I wonder if that's Essendon coughing up a 40-point lead last week and now going to Port Adelaide where Orazio Fantasia shapes a sort of a nice centrepiece to it. But Port looked like a team who might kick the sweep every week the way they've set up is... Uh, a little rev up for the Dons? Yeah, and look, they're, I guess you could say, over-attacking nature. Um, it, it could hurt with Port Adelaide because they're the kings off turnover. So, um, Essendon want to make sure they're... I mean, Ben Rutten's MO as a coach is defensive system. I mean, it's, it's, that's what he's been at at Richmond and that's what he's sold to Essendon as a, as a senior coach and what he brings as his trade, basically. So, you'd like to see a bit more of that in their game, more harder to score against and more methodical, but I thought in the second half they really lost their way and it became a, a ping-pong battle. And whenever you do that, it's a flip of the coin. Um, and often the, the, the most skillful will win. So that's a dangerous thing to do against the Port Adelaide team, that's for sure. It's interesting you mentioned the defensive system stuff. So if that's his one wood, I think he should be up in the coach's box then where he can have um, maximum impact, if you like. So every coach, they can coach from wherever they can have maximum impact or wherever they prefer. But if you have a look at his coaching box, all four assistant coaches are those really crafty elite forward types. So, um, you know, if he's bread and butter's defence, I think he'd be better suited up in the coach's box. And it is hard when you do become that senior coach. I know when I was at Brisbane, you, you know, you know your thing is defence or body positioning or the strengths you used to teach players. But 
Now you've got another coach teaching it. So you've got to also give the reins a little bit to somebody else to do it because you sort of you sort of come, you know, tools down a little bit when you become a senior coach and become more broad. So maybe there is some other stuff that you know, other coaches here are taking over from Ben. Yeah, I think too, if Ben's going to coach from the bench, I think you're obligated to teach your players and coach with energy down there. And there's a great snippet of Longmire in the first minute or two of the game. So he's got great strategists up in the coach's box. So he's coaching from the bench on the weekend and he has a conversation with Kennedy. And so there's all those opportunities within a game, what you want to see next. So if Ben's on the bench this weekend, I hope we see that from him really engaging with his players. Is that, so perception can be everything in this scenario where Essendon fans have lived through John Warsfold, who seemed dispassionate on the bench, even at times disconnected, which won't be the truth, but that's what they've watched. How important is it for Rutten to to at least shake that image clear and and make it look like he's he's got the reins. Yeah, Craig's right. You've got to be a certain personality, I think, to be on the bench. And Ben, by nature, is a methodical coach. And he's not overly expressive as a person. And he's not buddy-buddy, give-me-cuddle sort of guy. So um, maybe, maybe the... A box is the best place for Ben Rutten, but um, but what he is 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 a very inclusive guy, and he'd be wanting to do the best thing by the team. So if he thinks the team needs him to be on the bench, he'll do that. If he thinks it needs to be up there, he'll do that. He he very much um, takes in the word of those around. So that is a, a good part of what he does. But sometimes maybe he just has to make that call. Nah, I am. I am going to the box. Yeah, so that personality type, I think he's best suited to a coaching box, but that's just how I, that's just my opinion. But what I do like about Essendon is when I was watching, every player I thought, he's a good player, he's a good player, he's a good player. So they've got everything there that they need. So now they just need to get the strategy right and the coaching staff right and the culture of that footy club right, which they're clearly on track for. So I'm really positive and bullish about Essendon. Um, Maybe not necessarily in the short term because there's always that transition with a new coach, but I like the direction that they're heading the harley heaven rev up the home of harley davidson one of my theories for the year is i think st kilda will be the biggest track specialists in the competition at marvel that goes on trial tonight against melbourne so they do they've got nine of their first 12 at the grounds that's why winning sydney was such a big result for them they do play quality opposition in a lot of those i vividly recall your game against them last year and just the sheer speed of it all. Could they be the biggest track specialists? Oh, I think so. I think they're the most exciting to watch in their game styling and what they do. I mean, they're relatively direct, but they're so fast, and particularly the front half of their ground. So they set the ground up really well. I think offensively, they're happy to take a contest and then allow those smalls to get through the contest and then hurt you over the back. So they've got a styling very similar to Richmond of 217. I see a, a very similar um, blend with, um, well, probably because some of the players were actually playing at, <laughs> at Richmond at the time that are there. But um, but they, they really have that speed demon approach. So um, they're the ones that are going to hurt. Is that going to stand up in finals, this approach? But um, I really think they're the ones that, uh, for me, could bounce into the top four and, and stick around there this year. What I like about St Kilda is win, lose or draw. I think they get their strategy spot on. So you can have great strategy and just get beaten by a better team. So for me, they tick that box. And, you know, I love home ground advantage, Jared. So I think your theory is very valid. And one thing I would say is that when you look at a fixture um, and and you say, oh, gee, we're playing all the best teams, you actually want to play the best teams early because the best teams, as the year goes on, they only get better. So I think um, it's better to get the, the, the better teams out of the way early, bank a few wins where you can, and then hit the end of the season running. 
It feels like a big measure for Melbourne tonight then, having coming up against St Kilda for what their aspirations are. I think Melbourne will win. I like a lot about Melbourne and what they're doing. I love their kicking strategy. Uh, I really like who they've brought across, you know, that Hawthorne knowledge with Uze in their coach's box. Mark Williams is a coach that I, I really love. So Goody's got some really good support and advice around him. Um, so, yeah, they were rusty last week. It wasn't their best game. But, um, you know, I'm expecting pretty big things from Melbourne. And I, what I do love is that they've finally woken up and they're going to put variety through the midfield, add some speed in there. Because what happens is if you play your best three or four midfielders all game, they end up getting exploited defensively. So I like to keep them a little bit fresh, a little bit hungry, push them forward where they're so determined to win the footy they will and they might snap a goal for you. But by the time they get back into the midfield, they're they're really keen to win the footy and defend. No changes for our game, Jared Swanson, Crows. Matthew Ling, the sub for Sydney and Chase Jones for Adelaide. They've just come through as the medical subs. So about... About 45 minutes away from the start of that game, maybe 50. Craig, great to have you on Crunch Time. Thanks for your insights, and we'll keep tabs on Thursday. Great fun. Thank you. The strategy of footy in 2021 is intriguing a season as we've seen in a long time from that perspective. Your turn. You can give us a ring on the open line, one 736 736 for Southern Phone. Amazing new mobile SIM deals from Southern Phone, one 736 736 on all the issues out of last night into today, the week as it has bubbled away. Have your say now on the Southern Phone open line. This has been the round two edition of Crunch Time. Thanks to Werribee, Western and... Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Putsgray Nissan dealerships. Stock in the all-new Nissan Navara. Built tough.